Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Have you ever wanted to start your own podcast? Well, Anchor FM might be just what you need to do so. It's a free podcast distribution platform with creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer if you wish to do so. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Sal and Craddy Sports Podcast. We have Ryan on the show for the first time. Um, if you don't remember, my buddy Justin filled in because Ryan had some stuff going on with school. He didn't have time. So now we have Ryan back on with some actual good stuff to talk about for the first time in a while. Um, if you were wondering at all why we weren't posting episodes, because there really wasn't anything all that noteworthy to talk about. And we didn't want to just have like a boring show. But now, across all the four major sports, besides maybe football, we have some good football stuff. But it's not as relevant as the other sports. But we have some good stuff to talk about. So we're going to get right to it. Um, and all, all four sports, like I mentioned, uh, there's stuff going on right now with the return to play stuff, uh, the draft lottery in the NHL last night. And without further ado, I think we should get started. Ryan, how you doing? Pretty good. Feels weird to be doing this from home, that's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a little different, but, you know, this is this is life now. But, um, yeah. you know, we'll be getting more of these out as things progress and, you know, as we get closer and closer to actually watching live sports again. But um, to start, I think we're going to start with the NHL draft lottery just because it happened last night. It was pretty wild. Um, Nuts and bolts. Detroit got screwed. They had an 18.5% chance to get the first overall pick. And they got bumped down to the fourth overall pick. Just crappy luck for them. Um, Ottawa didn't get the first overall pick either with their combined odds from their pick with 13.5% chance of getting the first overall pick in San Jose pick, um, which is 11.5, so combined 25% chance of getting the first overall pick. They did not get it either, and a mystery team got it. One of those mystery teams, the mystery team is going to be one of the teams that gets eliminated in the playing rounds, so we have no idea who has the first overall pick yet, and we won't know until August. How does something like that happen exactly, like? Because you rattled off the percentages of, like you said, Detroit and uh, Ottawa having a chance to get it, and both of them getting screwed over. I don't think I've ever seen like anything in the drafts happen like that before. So it's just, I when you said that, it was weird to me last night that two teams that had a pretty damn good shot again and just didn't end up with the number one overall pick. Yeah, things just went haywire, and you know, to keep up with the craziness of everything going on in the world right now, the yeah. draft lottery was crazy and. A team we have no idea who it's going to be at this moment is going to end up with the first overall pick, and likely Alexi Lafreniere, and t- unless they decide to go off the board and take someone like Quentin Byfield, um, pretty wild. So with that, um, the top eight picks are set in stone. Obviously, with the first team being a mystery team, 
Um, the Los Angeles Kings will pick second. Uh, the Senators with the San Jose pick, they acquired um, in the Eric Carlson trade will pick third. Detroit got bumped down to fourth. The Senators with their own pick will pick fifth, so they got two picks in the top five. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks will pick sixth. The New Jersey Devils will pick seventh, and the Buffalo Sabres will pick eighth. And that's all we know. That's all we know. Um, from the Bruins' perspective, they don't have a first-round pick because they moved it in the David Backus deal in order to get that deal out, so Anaheim will have their pick, um, as well as that sixth overall pick, so things are looking pretty interesting for them. But, yeah, that's all we know about the NHL draft so far. Um, pretty wild. I don't think a lot of people expected that, but now it comes down to one of... There's a lot of teams, so stay with me here. One of the Oilers, Blackhawks, Penguins, Wild, Canadians, Canucks, Jets, Maple Leafs, Penguins, Flames, Rangers, Predators, Islanders, Coyotes, Blue Jackets, Panthers, or Hurricanes will get the first overall pick, and we'll find out in early August. So we got some time to wait, but once every once eight teams have been eliminated, once everything gets going, um, those eight teams that got eliminated will have a 12.5% chance of getting the first overall pick. But right now, the odds are different because no teams have been eliminated. And currently, per the theathletic.com, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets have the highest odds as of now with an 8% chance. But, you know, things are going to change once teams get eliminated and earn a 12.5% chance of getting the first overall pick. So, it's something very unheard of. It was very strange. Hockey Twitter blew up last night, and rightfully so, because we've never even seen this before. My question, too, like, I don't know how this is. Obviously, you laid out the percentages. I don't know how it's going to work. Like, say, like, I don't know, Arizona's the first team to get bounced. Does that mean they get the first the, the first overall pick? Or, like, you know how that would... No, so every team that gets eliminated has an equal chance. Okay. So, yeah. Jeez, so, if you, if you lose... The first team bounced, you still don't yeah. get the first overall pick. Yeah, it's not the, wor- not the worst consolation prize this year's definitely makes things interesting. I saw a lot of people saying, like, oh, our team's just going to lose on purpose. I if saw they're KFC like, from Arsenal said yeah. that. So you tagged in the playoffs to get the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, it's sure going to be interesting how things go out, uh, how things pan out. But um, we'll have to wait and see. You know, we still got a little bit of time. It's sure, still not even a sure thing as to whether the NHL is going to return to play, but it's looking possible. But... Mm-hmm. If they start playing, it's going to happen in like late July, so we still have some time. Um, I saw this interesting... Um, I'm laughing because the Reddit username is pretty funny. Uh, a chart of the most draft spots gained and lost in the draft lottery in the NHL since 2016 via Reddit user GucciPotato69 on the, hockey, the Reddit Hockey subreddit posted a chart of the most spots gained and lost in the draft lottery. And the placeholder team now has the, the to-be-determined team to get the first overall pick. Now has the most spots gained since 2016 of any team. With 11 spots gained last night. Second is Philadelphia. They've gained a total of 10 spots um, since 2016. Carolina and Chicago are tied for 8th and so on and so forth. And Detroit... Um, Moving down three spots now has the most spots lost in the draft lottery since 2016. So, uh, tough, anything, right? yeah, tough few years to be Detroit for sure. 
They've now lost eight spots combined since 2016. Uh, Vancouver second at seven, so not too good for Vancouver either. Uh, Colorado is the th- has lost the third most spots with six. But, I mean, Colorado's looking pretty good right now, and they won the lottery in 2013 and got Nathan McKinnon. So I don't think they're complaining too much. No, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty... I, I think they'll take that. Pretty decent trade. But, yeah, to sum things up, things were pretty nuts last night in the NHL. Uh, I made a little mock draft of the top eight just for fun. I think Alexi Lafreniere will go first to whoever team earns the first overall pick. I think the Los Angeles Kings will take Evgeny Malkin 2.0, Quinn Byfield second overall. Um, they just they have a ridiculously good prospect core already, um, arguably the best in hockey, and they get Quinn Byfield, who I said is I think is like an Evgeny Malkin 2.0, just a crazy big center. Uh, very powerful and has a great scoring touch. Just a threat every time he's on the ice. And he's just a beast. I think the Ottawa Senators will take Tim Stutzel with the San Jose pick, completing that trade. Uh, one more pick at a time. They still have a pick next year from that trade. They'll have a second round pick as well um, in next year's draft. I think the Detroit Red Wings, despite moving down, um, will take Marco Rossi, which isn't a bad pickup at all. Marco Rossi is considered to be one of the better players in the draft as well. Just a high high tempo scorer, uh, just flies around the ice and is just like born to score goals and put up points. Uh, with the second of their top five picks, I have the Senators taking arguably the best defender of the draft, Jamie Drysdale. Uh, pretty good haul getting Stutzel and Drysdale if they decide to go that route. I have the Anaheim Ducks drafting my personal favorite player in the draft, Lucas Raymond. Uh, right winger out of Sweden. I really like Lucas Raymond a lot. He's just a pure goal scorer. And he's really fun to watch. And another Swedish pure goal scorer will go seventh, I think, to the New Jersey Devils and Alexander Holtz. Arguably the best scorer in the draft. Uh, he's just a pure sniper. And I have the Buffalo Sabres drafting Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. So that's about it. That's all we know with the draft, like I said. But um, that's how I think, as of now, the top ten or the top eight will pan out. Um, pretty interesting draft class this year. I'm looking forward to that whenever that happens. First, we got to complete the season. So, um, a lot of time to go between then, but you know, the lottery was pretty nuts last night. So I figured we'd touch on that and give our thoughts. But the real reason we're talking about hockey today is, you know, what are things going to look like for the Bruins when they get back? And, you know, I don't think it's going to look anything too crazy, but I think it's, I would like to see them do things differently than a lot of people probably think. Um, my idea for the lineup when they come back is keeping the top line intact. Marshawn Bergeron, Pachanek, that's a no-brainer for me. Um, instead of having Jake DeBrusque on the second line, I'd like to see them roll with uh, Nick Ritchie, David Krejci, and Andre Kasha. I just like that Anaheim connection. And I have DeBrusque on the third line for a reason. I think... Um, that combination with Krejci could do pretty good. You have Richie, a guy who can get in the corners and play physical and create space, get to the front of the net. David Krejci, just a great playmaker with some scoring ability as well. And Andre Kasha, you know, you give him a really, you know, savvy, smart center to play with. And a guy from uh, Anaheim that he's used to playing with a little bit. And Nick Richie, give him some familiarity. Uh, he could do really well on the right wing there. And the big reason why I have that line together and have Jake DeBrusque moving down is because I really like the combination of DeBrusque, Coyle, and Bjork as the third line. I think that just, like, essentially gives you a, a second second line. Like, 
a, a two-way, two-B type thing. That's two really, really solid lines. I think that balances the lineup really well. And they've had a little time together, and I think they looked pretty solid. And, you know, I think this could be a really um, good opportunity for Jake DeBrusque. You know, he's, a, he's had a good season this year, but, you know, the thing with DeBrusque, I think, is consistency. And I think, you know, trying something new, trying him with Coyle and Bjork could be really good for him. And then I have the Bruins running Nordstrom, Corrali, and Kuhlman as the fourth line instead of Wagner. But I think um, they'd be well served to rotate Kuhlman and Wagner in and out on the fourth line. And you get some different looks. And you'll keep them both playing because I think they're both worthy of lineup time. And this is kind of like a best of both worlds thing for them. Um, you know, they both get to play and, you know, they both earned it. They both, you know, they're both worthy of being in the lineup. But you can't have 13 players in your, your lineup in a night. So this is a good way to just, like, keep them both fresh, keep them both active. And I uh, give them both some playing time. And then on the back end, I have pretty standard. Uh, Chara, McAvoy, Krug, Carlo, and Grizzik, and Lozon. I think you have a different idea on defense. And then uh, Raskin, Halak as the goaltenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you can't hear the saw going on in the background of my house doing a lot of renovations. So hopefully that'll be kept to a minimum. But um, yeah, on the Bruins stuff... Um, same as you with the top two lines, Marsha and Bergeron, Pasternak. I debated putting DeBrusque on that second line, Krejci and uh, Kasha, but I know it seems like an eternity ago when we watched a, uh, a hockey game, but as I can recall, the DeBrusque-Cole and Bjork line looked pretty pretty good together. I know it was a line he liked a lot because it was a big speed threat out there, so I think you stick with those three on the third line. I think that line will be good. And then I had Nordstrom, Corrali, and Wagner on the fourth line with Kuhlman getting swapped in and out. I think now with so much uncertainty, you're going to have to lean a lot on the veteran guys once the season comes back into play. So I think that's why you stick with Nordstrom and Wagner on that line with Corrali. And then, I mean, we've seen in the playoffs before the Bruins didn't even spark. It worked well for them last year. They put Kuhlman out there a couple of times, got a couple of big goals. So they'll probably follow the same suit there. Defense-wise, I think obviously Char, McAvoy, Krug, Carly go that way. And then same thing as I said with Wagner and Nordstrom. I have Clifton on that last uh, defensive pairing for Grizzly because, again, I think you're going to lean heavily on your veteran guys. I would have to think Clifton's going to be healthy and ready to go once this starts up because we've had such a long layoff. So if he's 100%, you throw him out there as Grizzly because that pairing has worked pretty well in the past, in my opinion. I'm sure you can agree to that. So, yeah, just a couple of switches. I know it's not a whole lot to go off of because we don't really know how things are going to be when they come back, but... Yeah, just, uh, and then obviously, yes, Rask and Halak. I'm not going to do anything crazy and throw yeah. Halak in there to start game one in the playoffs because who would do that? Yeah, that would be pretty nuts. Uh, yeah, I like Clifton. I just, like, I don't have anything against him. I just think Lozon has played a bit better this year, and <laughs> Lozon is capable of being a left-handed defenseman and playing on the right side. So I just, I just like his fit a little better. And maybe, like, with what I was saying with Kuhlman and Wagner, you can rotate... Lozon and Clifton in and out every once in a while in the playoffs and you know, get some fresh looks out there every once in a while because we've seen Grizzly and Clifton be um, a successful pair together in the past but I just like what Lozon's brought to the table a little more this year he's got a little well I wouldn't say more nastiness but you know I think he's brought a little more like impact to the game than Clifton has this year and um, I think they're both similar you know, they're not huge guys but they play physical, they play nasty, and, you know, they can move the puck well. 
So I think mm. either one's a good option, but I just like Lozon a little more personally. But it's just it's just a great looking lineup for the Bruins. I'm really confident this year. I've said to so many people, August of last year before the season started, I was really confident the Bruins winning the Cup and they were one game away. And I'm keeping with that same energy this year. I think they're going to win the Cup this year. And, you know, a sidebar to that, if this team gets the Cup, I think there's no chance they lose two years in a row. No, I said that at the start, that I think last year really obviously hurt a lot of people, but I I think they're going to use last year's loss in Game 7 as a huge kind of, we're back, we're going to come back from this and we're going to, you know, finally finish the job that we couldn't do last season. So, I mean, I like you said, I've been saying that since day one too, so I feel strongly about this team. Uh, obviously, such a long layoff as much as it stinks, you're going to have a fully healthy team, I would have to imagine, but then on the flip side of that, you're going to have fully healthy opponents too so it's going to be an interesting playoffs to see how it plays out i know there's kind of been uh, a lot of questions of how these playoffs are going to work but should be interesting to see i know you have a uh, a question that a lot of people have debated even before they announced we're going to come back you know on whoever wins the cup how how will it be viewed so uh, you want to get into that or yeah with such a long layoff like people have been i've seen people talk about like oh, is there an asterisk on who wins the Cup this year? Like, does it really mean as much? Like, is it as meaningful as, you know, playing a normal season and winning the Cup normally? Um, I don't think there should be an asterisk because coming off from such a long layoff is going to be a big challenge. You know, guys are getting just getting back on the ice pretty recently lately. Um, they're just getting back in the swing of things, getting back to normal as much as they can. And I think... You know, likely not having fans in the arenas is going to throw a lot of people off. I'm not saying this is like a huge factor like as to why there shouldn't be an asterisk, but I think it's going to make things, you know, it's going to be weird for players to adjust playing without fans because, you know, these guys that have been around for a while are used to having the crowd noise. They're used to, you know, things going bananas after a goal. Like, not having that is going to be different, and it's going to, like, you know take a little adjusting to. So I don't think there's an asterisk on who wins the cup at all this year. I don't know about you. I don't think so either. I mean, they talked about that when the season first got put on ice and they were like, oh, the Bruins have the best record. So if they don't come back, do the Bruins get the cup? And then like, if they did it that way, then yes, I would say you have an asterisk on this cup. But I mean, you pointed it out. I personally think, and I'm going to have the same case for the NBA playoffs is with no fans, it completely takes the home ice advantage, home court advantage, whatever sport you're in away from it. So I think that's going to make it, more difficult, in my opinion. You're not going to have, okay, well, the first two games, the playoffs will be at home for the Bruins. That, that's a huge advantage for them. That That's not going to happen anymore. So I think it's going to be, as you said, it's going to be a lot tougher. Coming back from this, guys, you know, maybe their bodies aren't going to be ready yet. You think they're still conditioning and they're off time and they're off season. But I, I don't think there's going to be an asterisk. I think it's going to be one of the, I don't know how to word it. Like I, I don't know. I just think it's going to be more of a challenge to, like you said, get to the get to the finals, and then once you get there, just to finish off the job and, you know, go, go out and win it. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it plays out, how these teams adjust coming back. And like you said, the big thing that people are going to, I feel like, might forget is that there's not going to be any fans. So that, that'll be interesting to see, too. Imagine the team winning the cup. Like, how do you think that celebration is going to go? You think they yeah. need to skate around and show it off, or is it going to be more? I hadn't even thought of that, honestly. Like, that's going to be so strange. It's like, okay, now we don't know really what to do with this thing when we win it. 
Yeah, and like how are parades going to work? I have a feeling parades are going to be different. And another thing I just thought of off the top of my head right now is, you know, the whole hub city thing is going to be a lot different too. Like not like you said, not having home ice advantage without having fans. You know, a lot of a lot of teams aren't going to have home ice advantage because they can't play at their home rink because it's not exactly, a hub city. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting, and I think for these reasons we mentioned, there's there shouldn't be an asterisk on whoever wins the cup this year at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's a that's about it we have for hockey. It's good like twenty minutes or so of hockey talk uh, to get us back in the swing of things now with more going on, but another league that's been generating a lot of buzz lately is the MLB. It's a yeah, lot of, it's and, just and been a lot of teeter tottering. <laughs> like, it, are they going to come back or are they not? You know, at one point it looked like we weren't going to have baseball at all this year and, you know, people were losing hope. And now we have a 60 game season on the table and spring training is going to start in like July 1st, right? Uh, yeah, just to have it because they announced it on Monday. I can read off kind of the main topic, the main point here. So yeah, you said it, it Back and forth offseason, to say the least, one of the more frustrating MLB offseasons, if you can call it that, in quite some time. But finally, the players and owners were able to strike a deal. It'll be a 60-game MLB season, as you said. Uh, the deal comes with an extended spring training, which starts, as you said, on July 1st. Uh, it will take place in the 30 major league clubs, their home ballpark. So Red Sox, instead of going to Fort Myers, they will hold spring training at Fenway. Uh, and then the 2020 regular season will begin on July 23rd and 24th. So... With that, there's a lot of new kind of rules, new COVID-19 inspired precautions that's going to come with it. So some of the specific things I saw from the MLB, this is from Mark Feinstein on MLB.com. Season-specific rules says each team will have 10 games. If you're wondering how the schedule is going to look, each team will have 10 games against their four division opponents with the final 20 games of the season being, or not of the season, but just in general, uh, made up against the opposite league's corresponding geographical division is how he worded it. That's in order to cut down on travel. So an example of that would be the Red Sox, of course, would play the Yankees, the Orioles, the Blue Jays, and the Rays in those 10 games, uh, which would count to 40 40 games in the season. And then the other 20, they would play five four-game series or two-game series, depending on how they're going to do it, against the Braves, Marlins, Mets, Nationals, and Phillies. So we'll get into a little bit later when we talk specifically about the Red Sox. Uh, That's not going to be good for them, in my opinion. Uh, I think there's too many tough games. You're not going to be able to beat up on some of the weaker divi- uh, teams like the uh, AL Central, AL West, kind of those teams out there. Big thing, this has been talked about a little bit, both teams this year, uh, both leagues rather, this year will have a designated hitter, so that'll be interesting to see. How That's the a big W. Goes with that. Thank I, God. I think so. There's a lot of people that are still mad about that, which I, I don't understand. I'm, I don't want to see a pitcher in a, pitching a gem of a game have to be taken out because it's a one-run game or something like that so i think the dh in both leagues will be huge this year uh it's going to help in my opinion too i think with you know keeping pitchers healthy like just because of how strenuous this season is going to be in the short amount of time they have to get it done uh kind of an interesting one teams will open the season with 30-man roster and we'll kind of get our roster predictions for the red Sox specifically when we touch on them uh the rosters will reduce to 28 players after two weeks and then the regular 26-man roster after four weeks into the season August 31st is the trade deadline this year, so that's about 39, 40 days roughly after the season starts. So it'll be interesting to see if teams will go for the big blockbuster deals we've seen in the past, or if they'll try to 
keep it to minor deals or even make trades at all. I know I was talking to my daddy today. He didn't think there should be a trade deadline, which was kind of an interesting take on it. Uh, so be curious to see how teams will approach that. September 15th, this is just a minor one, is the deadline for players to be postseason eligible. So a player must be on the 26th, be 26 man roster at the time uh, before September 15th. This is a strange one. I didn't understand if I had to kind of look this up for what it meant. Teams are permitted to carry up to three quote unquote taxi squad players on the roster during the season. And if they do choose to carry all three at a time, one of them must be a catcher. So when I look that up, taxi squad, just think of like a practice squad in football, I guess. Yeah. Pull guys off of that. If there's injuries or if guys need time off or whatever, whatever it may be. Uh, one of the bigger ones that I didn't know about until I looked at this article, and you and I know when we were in school had this discussion on the show, uh, during extra inning games in the regular season, you ready for this one, each half inning will begin with a runner on second base, and that runner will be the batter who made the final out of the previous inning, or if that runner got on and had a pinch runner come on, then that pinch runner would be the runner in the inning. So there we go. We're going to see how this goes. I know it has been experimented in the minors. That's with literally the so classic. dumb. What were you going to say? Sorry. That's literally so dumb. It is. The good thing is, is that's not going to occur on the playoffs, so this is just going to be a regular season thing. We'll just start with this. But, again, it, it's going to be weird to see because I'm sure the first time, first opportunity you get it, guy's going to lay down a bunt, sack fly, wins the ball game, wild pitch to win the game. Like, Stupid. I know Jeff, Jeff Passon talked about it the other day when he was on, uh, I believe it was SportsCenter. might have been a different show. I can't remember where I saw him exactly, but... He said, you know, we'll see that. We'll see a team bunt it over, and then, okay, you'll see two intentional walks to try to set up another double play or one intentional walk to try to set up a double play. So who knows how this is going to go. It could get – I mean, it's, it's going to get weird. It's a weird season. So that will be kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on is how this will work. I guess it's good to experiment now because of how weird the season's going to be and how up in the air things are. Hopefully it doesn't stick, in my opinion. I, I don't want to see – Extra innings go this way. I know you don't want to see it, as we've talked about before. So just something to keep an eye on, see how that goes. Uh, the injured list is going to change a little bit. 10-day injured list for all players, that's position players and pitchers. Of course, pitchers, last season they had their change to a 15-day IL, so it's back to 10 for this season. And the 60-day injured list, because it's only a 60-game season, uh, it has been reduced to 45 days. There's a completely separate injured list for players who test positive for COVID-19 or have symptoms or have had confirmed exposure to COVID-19. There's no maximum days for this injured list, and I'll touch on the COVID-19 specific uh, kind of precautions the LB's taking in a moment. And then kind of a big one here, as it was debated back and forth, this is really the reason why we haven't had a season up until this point. Players will be paid their full prorated portion of their 2020 salary based on their games played, which is equal to approximately 37% of the full season. So, again, one of the bigger ones, that's why we waited so long, is the owners and the players couldn't agree on stuff. I know we've talked separately about mm -hmm. our feelings of what should have been done, how it should have went down. Um, I don't know how you feel about these rules, these kind of changes, if there's any that stand out to you. I know we kind of briefly discussed the yeah. extra innings thing, the DH is a big one, but... Yeah, yeah the, kind of just your thoughts on how they went about this before we get into the uh, COVID-19 stuff because they're going to yeah. try to implement. I think everything sounds good and reasonable, but the, the thing that bothers me with the extra inning games rule is, like, if you're going to implement this rule that could have a huge impact on extra inning games, why do it at all if you're not going to do it in the playoffs? Why don't, why don't you, like, 
why don't you try this during like spring training next year or something like spring yeah, training games yeah. and see how it works like this is you're gonna do this when games mean so much more when there's only 60 as compared to 162 mm-hmm. and potentially like this happens this has a huge impact on a team winning a game and like a must win game for a team late in the 60 game season I just don't think it makes sense at all no I mean like I said when I watched the video that uh, Jeff Passing was in he made a, a good point that I kind of agree with is this makes sense to an extent where you have this strenuous season and you, and you want to cut down on these 14, 15, 16 plus inning games where pitchers are getting thrown out there and pitching an extended amount. When you know, as we talked about in hockey, conditioning is going to be a big thing. Are these guys ready to go? Uh, you got to think pitchers with a shortened spring training and obviously this layoff, their arms aren't going to be that ready to go. So, from that argument point, I can or that standpoint, I can see it. You don't want to have these long games when the season is short and the guys get tired, you risk injury, stuff like that. But yeah, I, I just don't I don't see the like appeal to this. I really don't. Other than the cut down on time, but like as as I said earlier, this the moment you have someone bunt a guy over and win it on a wild pitch or something stupid like that or a sack fly, someone's gonna complain. You know this is not gonna go smoothly. So I I, I don't know. Like I said, it'll be interesting to see how how they go about it, how things will be done, but who knows? It's a crazy world we're living in right now these crazy rules everything's weird everything's weird that's the theme of what's going on with sports right now everything's weird everything's different mm-hmm. i don't like change i don't either <laughs> so yeah just on this uh covid specific kind of rules because obviously you have to put those in place the nba is doing it too well i mean all the leagues are doing it obviously but MLB, the mlb came out the other day i saw an instagram post to kind of explain how they're going to go about things there's some interesting rules in here, too, that I'll get your thoughts on, but uh, obviously some of the big ones, players and personnel, will be tested every other day. That makes sense. You have to do that. No one's complaining about that from what I've seen, so that's obviously a good way to start it. Uh, players will receive temperature slash symptom checks twice per day. Another big one there. Players and personnel, this is an interesting one to me, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this after I say it. Uh, players and personnel not participating in games will sit in the stands at least six feet apart so to me, that just confirms you're not going to have any fans for baseball. I know there were, I saw on Twitter, uh, some mayors, or some governors, stuff like that, were thinking, okay, maybe after a couple weeks, we'll have, maybe try to get players, fans back into the stands, rather. If you're going to have players and personnel of teams in the stands, that just screams that this is going to be teams and players only. Like, there's not going to be any fans for any yeah. games. So essentially, so. it's going to be like a Rays game. There's no fans. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Rays, Marlins. Uh, who else can you throw into that mix? Royals, maybe? Royals, Do the Royals yeah. have fans? No. Oh. Yeah, I throw, yeah, you throw the Royals in there. Tigers, but yeah, that's a good good way to put it. It'll be a Rays game. You'll see one fan in every row, every other row. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting that they're going to try to have players and coach, coaches, personnel, and the fans. I mean, the stands, rather. But then the next thing they had, too, was non-player personnel will, will wear masks in the dugout and bullpen at all times. So if you're going to put people in the stands, who's going to be in the dugout? Uh, like, that, to me, kind of contradicts it, where you're going to have the guys that aren't playing, like if Eduardo Rodriguez, for example, isn't making a start, you can have him in the stands, you're going to have him in the dugout wearing a mask. Like, yeah, I don't know. But I don't know how that one's going to go. This one... I'd like to see how they're going to police this. They have no spinning or chewing tobacco, which I thought chewing tobacco wasn't allowed in 
in games anyway, but maybe they changed that when I wasn't I wasn't aware of it. But they said gum chewing gum is permitted in the dugouts and on the field. But yeah, how are you gonna police a guy spitting? I don't know. <laughs> that just doesn't add up to me. Yeah. Again, I saw a passing the other day said instead of a, like a pitcher when he wants to get a grip on the ball, like he'll go to his uh, his fingers to his tongue, kind of lick that. For they said pitchers are gonna wear have like wet rags in their pockets that they'll use instead. That I think will be funny to see, just because again it'll do another weird thing because of all these weird rules. So this one I don't see them policing either. Uh, the no celebratory contact. So you hit you hit a big home run, get a big strikeout, get a big out. Hell, you win the World Series, and you can't high-five, fist bump, hug, or do anything like that. So. Air hugs, air high-fives. Yeah, exactly. We'll do, uh, everybody everybody will do the whip and the nay-nay with each other to celebrate. Yeah. But, like, hands to each other, but do it six feet apart, please. Don't come anywhere near me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's odd, but it makes sense, I guess. I guess. I just imagine, like, you, uh, you win the World Series, you see a dog pile on the pitcher's mound 90% of the time. Now everybody's just going to run outside and do the whip and the nay nay around yeah. the pitcher's mouth. I just jump around. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be interesting. Oh, uh, boy. Those are kind of quick ones. Antibody testing will be conducted once per month. And then one of the bigger ones, too, which I think this is a good way to go about it. Uh, any player who tests positive for COVID-19 will not be allowed to return unless he tests negative twice. So a big one there. That, to me, will be interesting because I don't know how long or how often they'll be tested if a player test positive for but that might kill a player's season in all honesty yeah. depending on how long it takes to get back from the symptoms from testing positive so that'd be an interesting one too to watch i know there's i saw the other day the twins already have six or seven players that have tested positive for it so who knows how that's gonna go yikes yeah but yeah just some i mean mlb and as bad of a rap as they've gotten this offseason and i mean this in my opinion, I don't know if you feel the same way between this happening and obviously you can't control this, the whole Astros thing going on. Of course, the Yankees the other day came out and said they were cheating as well. Surprisingly, nobody's investigated the Yankees, if you can believe that yet. Oh, yeah, but yeah. Just, it's uh, never a big just, deal if it's the Yankees. Nope, no, absolutely not. Just throw them under the bus. Or under the, sweep them under the rug. But um, this has been one of the worst off-seasons for baseball and a sport that's already had its difficulty keeping viewership and keeping people invested. Uh, this has not been a good offseason by any means for baseball. No way. So, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce, how MLB as a whole bounces back from this. Uh, Rob Manfred, in my opinion, has surpassed Roger Goodell as the biggest asshat commissioner in all sports. No, no, no. no. Do you think no, Goodell no. still got it? No, yeah, it's Goodell. Like, Goodell's, I, Goodell's way more infamously bad than Manfred, I think. I think if he already hasn't, I think Manfred's done a good job in one offseason alone, though, to get pretty close to Goodell. Yeah, he's he's definitely close, but I don't think he's worse than Goodell yet. Which is crazy to think of, because I mean, you said Goodell has had numerous occasions where he has been a clown, but that's been spanned out over a couple of years, over yeah. a decade or so. Like Manfred has done it in what five, six months. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy. Um, but, yeah, those are kind of just the main MLB-specific things. I know, obviously, a lot of people are excited that baseball is back. I am one of them. And I'm really interested to see how things will pan out in the 60-game season. Uh, 
how do you think the Red Sox are going to fare in the 60 game season, Mike? Because I I don't see it. I mean, regularly, I regular 162, I didn't see them faring well at all with what they lost and what they gained and what they have currently on the roster and other teams around them. But we'll jump into kind of maybe our season outlook for the Red Sox. I don't know if you want to start off or how you want to uh, go about this. Yeah, I think like I'm I'm not optimistic. I think they're gonna finish around. I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs. And I think I that there's too many good teams. I just like. I'm just not confident. I don't think they have what it takes to stack up in the division. And it's just not going to be a very exciting season. It's only going to be 60 games, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I just don't think they have it yet. I mean, you, you, I would feel the same way if they had a 162-game season, but like with all this craziness and everything being thrown off, when you're losing a player like Mookie Betts, like a lot of change happens with your team and you have to develop chemistry in different areas and you know kind of start fresh in some ways and now they don't have as much time to do that before the playoffs i'm just like not optimistic at all mm-hmm. also i mean there's just too many factors that are going against them right now i mean the one case i've seen and they have no chris people... sale so yeah what was that and they have no chris sale so like yeah no they don't that's what yeah one of the big things that you forgot uh chris sales gets tommy john this year so that's just another like that's what I mean. The rotation, we'll get to it in a second, but the rotation's in shambles. Like this is probably the closest you're gonna get to what year is it where they thought like Clay Buckholz could be or the infamous we have five aces comments and no, you had five number five starters. I don't so even 20, know. What year was that that they just had one of the horrendous rotations? Twenty fifteen? Whatever year it was. They, was it when Bobby Valentine was Running the ship? It might have been. Yeah, that might have been the Bobby. I'm trying to think if that was the Bobby Valentine year or not. Where the legit, they hit, like, I think Clay Buckholz was their best starter on that staff. And that, that should tell you a lot. Jeez. But, yeah, I mean, the amount of losses they've had, position player-wise, pitcher-wise, Mookie Betts, David Price, both gone to the Dodgers, as you said earlier with Betts. Rick Porcello, hurts your rotation, gone, Betts. Big one, Brock Holt. We'll never understand why you let a guy like that go. To no loss. And Griff. Don't forget about Griff. We lost yep. Griff, too. And, and, I sent you this the other day. Brock Holt and Jared Stidham are boys. Like, yeah, you're losing is, that. Time to get rid of him? You're losing that connection now. Yep. Like, like cross, cross-sport cross connection. That would have been cool to see how they, like, interact with each other. He's in a little bit. If you yeah. No shit. And, like, <laughs> he's Brock Holt's, like, the best utility player in the league, too. So. He is. That but, yeah, he's have. gone. Some minor ones, Sandy Leone, he's an Indian. Uh, Andrew Casher, not that he was a great fit for the Red Sox, but he maybe could have used him in the rotation. He's a free agent. Steve Pierce retired. Hector Velasquez, I know you were kind of curious about this one when they did it. DFA'd him for some reason. Yeah, Again, that's weird. Could use him in the rotation as an opener. He's with the Orioles now. Good luck to him. San Travis was traded to the Rangers. Travis, uh, Travis Lakins was DFA'd. I think he's an Oriole now, too. Of course, the big one, Alex Cora quote-unquote, virtually parted ways uh, when he was let go, but now we found out that Alex Cora was pretty much innocent in all this sign-stealing crap, so yep. maybe you'll see him come back next season, maybe not, who knows, and then of course, as we already said, Chris Sale, Tommy John surgery, he's going to get, so right now the losses outweigh the gains, I mean, the only big ones really, the, of course, Alex Hugo came back and the Betts deal, um, Kevin Pillar came over from the Giants, Colin McHugh, 
from the Astros, but you don't know what you're going to get with him. Is he going to start? Is he going to be in the bullpen? Is he going to be ready to go? Yeah. They seem to think they seem to think Verdugo is going to be fine. He's had the same amount of time off that McHugh has had, but for some reason, everything you look at says, you know, will McHugh be ready for the old, for the start of the season? Will he be healthy, ready to go? Uh, if he's not going to be, then that's kind of concerning. He's dealing with, I think, a hip flexor or a yeah. back strain, one of the two. But I love Kevin yeah. Pilar, so that's dope that we have him. I've liked him for a while, and I've yeah, always he liked. Yeah, I mean, he was always a guy idea. that played well against the Red Sox, played well at Fenway, in my opinion, from what I watched of him when he played against, uh, played with the Blue Jays here against the Red Sox. So I think that'll be a good one. Split time with JBJ in center. Maybe if Verdugo's not ready to go or not 100%, you can just throw him in right field. I think that was going to be the case before this whole debacle happened with COVID. So it'll be a good fourth outfield to have. Maybe if Ben Attendee falls into a slump or get, gets off to a slow start, you can stick him in left field. So just a versatile guy to have, a good Hell, you lost a couple of good clubhouse guys this offseason. I think Pilar yeah. is a guy that could maybe fit in there once he gets accustomed to everything. And then I'm not going to run through them because it's just all a bunch of bunch of who's and nobodies that they added as well. Austin Bryce, I think he he might be good for them, for the Red Sox. Uh, Jonathan Lucor is really the other name that stands out, but he's not even on the 40-man. So a guy that if you're going to put on the roster, you'd have to add to the 40-man, take somebody off it, and then just a whole lot of whole lot of bleh. Yeah, that, so. and well, you got Ron Renicky now. That'll be interesting to see how he does as the interim yeah, manager. So, be curious to see how he uh, fares in his first year. If this will be his one and only year as the Red Sox manager, that might be something to yeah. look, look at and see. But yeah, I mean, with the losses, they'll weigh the gains. So that that's going to be a struggle. We talked about it when we were on air. Still, everybody else got better around you. Yankees, obviously, they got the biggest fish of the offseason in Garrett Cole, so they're going to be expected to win the division, rightfully so. The Astros are still going to be there. The Twins, they got better, adding Josh Donaldson. So that's a team that you're not going to be able to, I mean, obviously, different divisions, but they're going to be good. Oakland, you're, you were fighting the wild card last year. They were a wild card team, so they're better than you, in my opinion. Same thing with the Indians. The White Sox got a hell of a lot better. They probably did the most out of any team this offseason to improve. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be chasing them, in my opinion. The Angels got Anthony Rendon. Now the Angels have always been a question mark of do they have enough pitching. They got Julio Tehran this offseason, so that'll help the rotation for them. But again, that team, I think, is a toss-up right now because though they have an inconsistent rotation, hell, they have a rotation. You don't. They have four yeah. or five starters. You have two, maybe three if you're lucky right now. But yeah, with Perez potentially being the third. We don't know what to expect with him. So, oh, I Honestly, the more I think about it and the more I look at the rotations yesterday, I, I would expect more from him right now than Nathan Eovaldi. And I like Nathan Eovaldi, but we've seen in the past the guy can't stay healthy and you don't know if he's going to stay healthy. So right now I would throw Rodriguez and Perez as your two main starters. Eovaldi yeah. obviously is going to be in there as well, but really you don't know what you're going to get from him because just when he's on, he's on. He's going to be he's a good 3-4 starter in your rotation. But the question is, maybe in a shortened season, he'll stay healthy for the full 60 games. But you just don't know. That's the problem. Yeah, then you got, like, we have some opener options. This is Ryan Weber, Colin McHugh, and Brian Johnson. At this point, I'm hoping McHugh can be a starter because they're going to need all the help they can get. And I think of the openers, he has the highest upside to be like a decent end-of-the-rotation guy. 
I think so. That's what I mean. I feel like right now you throw him in as your four. Hopefully he can go out there and give you three, four innings to build up whatever injury he's dealing with. I get another guy, Brian Johnson's not on the 40 man, but I think with so much uncertainty this season, and again, like I harbing it back to the Bruins where you go with the veteran guys, you go with guys you know. I think this is a chance for Johnson to stand out. You know what you have in him, a guy who can give you four or five innings when he goes out there. Maybe he's not the most consistent guy, but he's been around. He knows how to pitch in the big leagues. Like I I think you got to give him a chance at this point, especially when your auctions are Ryan Weber, who, again, he'll, he'll probably make the roster. He'll probably be your four or five starter. And Paul McHugh, like we said already, you don't know how healthy if he's going to be able to hold up this season or where his role is even going to be so like they yeah. could throw McHugh out in the bullpen for all we know that's where he was with mm-hmm. Houston so I think Brian Johnson's a name to keep an eye on just to say we, we need a guy who can be a four or five starter and like he, he's a guy who's done it in the past so yeah. that'd be an interesting one to watch yeah for sure yep but then yeah the bullpen gets a little interesting depending on because what we have here on the outline I took from a Nesson article I saw it was kind of their predictions to at the, the time, the 30-man roster, because as we said earlier, that's how the season's going to open up. Their bullpen, they had uh, Brandon Workman, who was going to close for Boston as I try to open this thing up. It's kind of crap on the bed. Uh, but yeah, they had had pitchers for locks, and they had Workman, Barnes, Darwinson Hernandez, Josh Taylor, Marcus Walden, uh, Ryan Brazier, and the guy that Mike loves so much, Heath Hembry. Sorry, Mike, you're going to have to put up a, with Hembry again this season. Yeah. They don't have anything else. I don't like him. No. And then they had kind of on-the-bubble guys that could potentially sneak into the bullpen. Jeffrey Springs, Josh Oshich, Matt Hall, Chris Mazza, Colton Brewer, and Mike Schwerin. So, again, a whole lot of this. Yeah, garbage. Yep. It's a flaming hot circle of garbage. Yes, it is. As Kevin Malone would say. Mm-hmm. But then for their position player locks, they had Christian Vasquez and Kevin Ploiecki as the two uh, the two catchers, infielders of Moreland, Chavis, Bogarts, Devers, uh, Jose Peraza, and then outfielders of Andrew Benintendi, Jackie Riley Jr., Alex Verdugo, Kevin Pillar, and J.D. Martinez. They had some uh, bubble guys of Jonathan Arauz, Zue Lynn, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Jonathan Lutroy, who, as I said earlier, that if you're going to put him on the roster, which they do have him on the roster, they have him carrying the Red Sox carrying three catchers, as I'll get to in a second, what their kind of roster looks like. We'll get into our roster predictions, our roster or our lineup predictions, because I know you had yours on here that you want to touch on. But for Nesson, they had the three starting pitchers would be Rodriguez, Eovaldi, and Perez. They had swing guys who pretty much accumulate that to openers. Uh, they had Weber, Johnson, and McHugh. Relievers, they had Workman, Barnes, Hernandez, Taylor, Walden, Brazier, Henry, Austin, Bryce, and they had Matt Hall making the bullpen. Uh, Matt Hall, lefty from the Tigers, so again, take that with a grain of salt. Tigers don't really have all anything that great. Uh, catchers, they had three, as I said, Vasquez, Pilecki, and Lucroy. Infielders, Moreland, Chavis, Bogarts, Devers, and Peraza. Outfielders, they had Benintendi, Bradley Jr., uh, Pilar, and Verdugo. Designated hitter, they put Martinez under that, obviously. And then they had two utility players for the Red Sox, Zue Lynn and Jonathan Rouse. And Rouse is an interesting one because, as we recall, when we were on air earlier in the either in the year, excuse me, uh, he is a Rule Five draft pick, so he has to stay on the roster, or he has the chance to go back to Houston. Now, I don't know if the ruling, kind of how that rule works, is if Houston gets to choose if they take him back or not, or if, like if the Red Sox were to try to send him to Pawtucket, uh, if he would just automatically go back to Houston. So, 
he's a guy that will have the spotlight on him just for the fact that he has to pretty much stay on the roster the entire season or the Red Sox will lose him back to Houston. So that's why Nesson and who wrote this article? It was Logan Mullen. That's who had kind of the, the outlook on the Red Sox roster from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I would take Colton Brewer over Matt Hall just, again, because you go with a guy you know and what you have, a guy who's been with the Red Sox, uh, was here last season, appeared in a decent amount of games, so that's a guy I would throw in the bullpen just to have. And then I did not think the Red Sox should carry three catchers. I had them taking Bobby Dahlbeck on the opening day roster over Darnell Lucroy. And for my reasoning is with a shortened season, obviously with a guy like Dahlbeck who's never appeared in the league, uh, major leagues before, you'd send him to AAA to start the season, get his feet under him, and then kind of gradually bring him up throughout the season. We saw that with Michael Chavis last year. We saw that when the Red Sox had other prospects like Mookie Betts, like a Benintendi, stuff like that. Rightfully so, makes sense. But with a shortened season this year, you send him to AAA, if he never gets his feet under him, and it doesn't hurt that maybe you don't call him up at all this season, but he's a guy from everybody you read, everybody you listen to, who you think is is at the point where he's got a chance to make the major league roster. He's going to contribute at some point. A lot of people say this is the year you call him up. Shortened season, what's it going to hurt to call him to have him on the roster to start? Like, yeah. if he doesn't get off to a good start, then you send him to Pawtucket, you keep him there for the rest of the season. Maybe you bring him up late in the year and you have him as one of the taxi guys or, as we said earlier, it's like a practice squad guy, as I said. Um, but I, I don't see a problem in doing that. Because, like I said, it, he, he gets off to a hot start, then he helps you win some ball games. He got to, gets off to a slow start. You say, okay, we'll put you in the minors. We get your feet under you then, and yeah. maybe we'll call you up later in the year. I don't know if you feel the same way, or I know I've kind of been talking for a long time and kind of get your thoughts on all this. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like, I don't really have many gripes with the predictions you went over. Um, I'm with you. I don't think they need to carry three catchers. I don't know if any teams even do that. I don't know if that's common, but I just don't see the need for it. Like, the catcher position isn't important enough to prioritize three players. And with Dahlbeck, I really like the idea in a shortened season of just, you know, letting him get his feet wet, you know, like you said, if it doesn't work out, they can just send him back down. And if it does work out, he gets a big boost in confidence and you know what you have with him. Because, like you said, like everybody talks about him being a big power hitter and a lot of people are excited. If you if you get that Bobby Dahlbeck that people have been talking about, you know what you have going forward. And, you know, that's just like a good luxury to have another power hitter in your lineup. And, you know... I think the if in a hundred sixty two game season maybe I wouldn't, but a sixty game season why not give him a shot? Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, that just, yeah, it doesn't that's, hurt and help. Like it could it could go either way. So yeah, other than that, I don't really have much else to say about the roster. It's not the worst looking roster, but I think it's going to be tough for this team to stack up. Um, but I do like how their lineup could look. We have a bit of different ideas in terms of lineup predictions, and I was inspired. To um to do this because I saw Felger and Maz talking about it when my dad was watching TV in the living room the other day, so I figured we could talk about this a little bit as well. I saw one, if not both of them, had Peraza in the lineup. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think they should run with Chavis at second base. Um, and I have I think they should roll with Ben Attendee as the leadoff guy. Uh, Bogarts up second. Uh, Devers third. 
Martinez fourth. You get some good lefty, um, righty variety in there. And I think Ben Attendee's just like a good candidate for the leadoff spot. Um, Moreland fifth, Verdugo sixth, Chavis seventh, Vasquez eighth, and Bradley Jr. at ninth. I think it's a pretty balanced lineup, good variety, lefty and righty. And, you know, that's one of the best options you can put forward. I like your idea, but I just, you know, I think we just have like a few different, you know, nothing too crazy, but a few different ideas. But, you know, I think, you know, despite the fact that I don't think they're going to make the playoffs and have a great season, I think this is an interesting lineup. I think so, too. Like, I like – your lineup is probably how I would go about it. Like, I like the lefty-righty uh, trying to switch off with Ben and Tanny, Bogart, Stavros, Martinez, Moreland. And you flip-flop the lefty and the righty variety. Uh, my lineup, I had Verdugo leading off, Devers hitting second. I think yeah, I put Devers there because he flourished in the two-hole last year. It was really good there. Uh, same thing with Bogarts, hit well in the three spot, so I put him there. Martinez clean up. Moreland fifth, Ben and sixth, Chavis seventh. Uh, Vasquez 8th, and Jackie Belly Jr. ninth. I don't see the appeal of starting Peraza either, like you said. I think uh, for some reason, the people that make the case for Chavis not being in the starting lineup is well, he could be your uh, right-handed Brock Holt, and you, you stick him at third base, you could have him at second base, first base. I know there's t- been talks in the past of maybe trying Chavis out in the outfield. Yeah. If the guy's healthy, he's your starting second baseman. Like, I don't know why people want Jose Peraza. Like, go look at Jose Peraza's stats. He like, doesn't have power. Chavis does. Like, it's kind of a yeah, no-brainer. He's like the starting second baseman, in my opinion. Like, he, he's your right-handed Brock Holt. Yeah. Less aversion because Jose Peraza sucks. I've said that since day one. Um, my reason for having Verdugo lead off, if, if he's fully healthy and ready to go, a lot of reports on him is he's a very good hitter. That's kind of his strength. So, And we saw last year Ben Tandy at times really struggled in the leadoff spot. So, I think doesn't hurt to start him at the bottom half of the order or the middle of the lineup, maybe flip-flop him with Moreland and, and him have Ben and Tandy hit five, Moreland six every, however you want to do it. But I think if Ben and Tandy can get his feet under him to start the season, then you move him up to the back in the leadoff spot and say, okay, we'll give you another shot here, see how you do. But And you can say the same thing with Verdugo. You could flip him and Ben and Tandy have Verdugo hit sixth or, or fifth, Ben and Tandy hit leadoff. So that's something Ron Renicky can toy with. I just think he see how Verdugo does in the leadoff spot, start him off there. If he's as good as a hitter as everyone seems to think he is, or the scouting reports seem to say he is, then maybe you have something there in the leadoff hitter. Of course, with no Mookie Betts, you, you lose that leadoff hitter. Yeah. That, that sure leadoff hitter that you know is going to produce up there. So um, maybe they do something crazy and they'll maybe hit Devers leadoff. I don't think that would be something that would be worthwhile, in my opinion. Maybe yeah, you can say the same for Bogarts. But, I mean, that's like a worst-case scenario if, Verdugo and Benintendi both suck at the top of the lineup, then you might have to do something crazy. Uh, if Pilar starts, maybe you throw him up there, but if Verdugo's healthy, I don't see Pilar being a starting outfielder anywhere in this lineup. He's your number four guy. So, just some changes, as you said, just some changes. Uh, I I don't, like I said, I don't see Chavis not being a starter. Do, no. do you remember what they had on Thorbermet? Like, did they have... They had Peraza uh, batting ninth and playing second base. Yeah, I, I didn't no. either. When they first got him, I saw it. I can't remember who it was, but some might have been Bleacher Report, might have been somewhere else. That they they had Peraza hit nine at second base too, and Chavis is the utility guy off the bench. I'm like, he, no. he was your starter for up until he got hurt last season. So why wouldn't you just continue to roll with that? He produced. I mean, he had times where he struggled, but every rookie's going to do that. So yeah, like, I, he's your starting second baseman. I don't see the the need or the desire to put Peraza in the lineup. 
Yeah. Unless he lights the world on fire, then maybe you you stick him as your leadoff hitter because I guess some people might say he's a good like contact hitter, but I I don't. I'll from day it. one, I haven't seen the appeal with Jose Peraza. You get rid of Brock Holt, you bring this guy in, and it's like I I don't see it. Yeah. One last thing I had to say about the lineup is like we had uh, Bogarts and Devers flipped in the two and three spots. I don't think you can go wrong with either one because they're oh, just no, like no. both. They can both get on base, and they both have power. Like, either way you go, um, it's, like, not a bad idea at all because I think J.D. Martinez is pretty much locked in as the four. And, you know, either way, you know, those guys can hit. They can get on base. But I just like the idea if you have a lefty first, barring them going with someone off the board and that's a righty um, leading off, either Benetton or Verdugo, both lefties. Um I like the idea of just getting a little, like, um, variety between lefties and righties, throwing pitchers off a little bit. And like I said, I don't think you can go wrong with either guy in either spot. But, you know, like you, you mentioned, you made a good point, like, that Devers was good in the second spot and um, Bogarts was good in the third spot. So they could just go with that and, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it and just have that work out for them. But, yeah, I like the idea of, you know, keeping pitchers on their toes a little bit. And I think if Verdugo has that hitting potential like people have talked about I think he's an awesome fit for um, the bottom half of the lineup because you know Chavis can hit some home runs but he's not the most like amazing contact hitter Vasquez you know Vasquez came on last year and really showed us something but you know it's not like Vasquez is like a like a safe bet to just get on base all the time he's a good hitter but you know you don't always know what you're going to get with Vasquez but you know obviously he had a pretty productive season last year they have Bradley Jr. I think if Verdugo can click in the sixth spot, I think it gives you a really nice piece at the bottom half of the uh, lineup. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, that'll be interesting, too, to see Bas- like guys like that. Vasquez, can he have another year like he had last year we talked about? I mean, they're going to have to lean heavily on Eduardo Rodriguez this year. Can he put up numbers like he had last year? Uh, then, same thing, can Devers build off of last year? Same thing with Bogarts, guys like that. So, yeah. it will definitely be interesting to see how they go about it, but as we both agree, it's Especially having to play games against the NL East, like I talked about when we started this kind of Red Sox discussion, MLB discussion. Like, there's just too many hoops to jump through. There's too many hurdles to overcome. You're playing too many good teams. Like, you kind of got the crappy of the – hell, we could swear we're not a school. The shit end of the sick, we'll say. Uh, having to play all these good teams because the Yankees, the Rays, the Phillies, the Braves, the Mets, National – hell, Nationals won the World Series last year. They're all better than you. You got to go through all of them this year, yeah. so – It'll be it'll be tough. You can't beat up on teams like Detroit, Kansas City, mm-hmm. uh, Seattle, teams like that. Not this year. So. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not saying this just because I don't like the Yankees. I don't think the Yankees are going to win the World Series. I have the I Brewers like winning the World Series this year. You who? Sorry, I cut you off. You said it. I have the Brewers winning the World Series this year. I don't know about you. Okay, I don't. I say I don't think the Brewers are going to have that great of a year. Alex, I think they're in the same boat the Red Sox are when they don't have tremendous pitching. And their offense is going to have to try to carry them, which I don't yeah. see in a shortened season working. I, I'm i sure they're going to find a way to screw themselves, but I think this might finally be the year the Dodgers break through just because you go all out to get Mookie Betts and David Price this year. If you don't win, if you don't at least get to the World Series, then like. Dude, come on. Like, you're, an ultimate, you're an ultimate failure of a team, in my opinion, but. I'm just like, I'm at the point with the Dodgers, like, I'm always going to bet on them to fuck up. Until yeah. they give me a reason not to, you know? Uh-huh. A lot of people are higher on the Phillies, too, which I could see. I mean, 
guys like Harper, Nola, Arietta, guys like that. So, I mean, that, that could be a team to watch out for. Uh, I think the Braves could make some noise. They got some... I would love to see the Braves win the World Series. I would love to see the Braves win the World Series. That would be awesome. Too. Like, I mean, that, that would be my sleeper. Like, I feel like that could be a team that could knock off the Dodgers if they get hot at the right time or if the Dodgers, like, just piss themselves in the playoffs like they usually do. Yeah. So, but, I mean, my uh, I'll go with the just the obvious ones. My World Series pick even before, before this was Yankees-Dodgers and then I had Dodgers in seven. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I think the Brewers pitching is decent enough to, you know, keep them afloat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Brock Holt's not going to light the world on fire, but he's a nice he's a nice under-the-radar pickup for them that just strengthens oh, their absolutely. order. And I, I think Christian Yelich is going to go sicko mode. I really do. I, yeah, a healthy year from him. I, think, I mean, he, hell, he would have had a chance to win his second MVP last year and maybe arguably should have if he didn't get hurt like he did last year. But I'm all in yeah, on the Brewers. Yeah. Should be a crazy year in baseball. I mean, that's the thing, too. With such a short, shut, such a short season, uh, a team gets hot at the right time, like, who the hell knows how it could go. Yeah. You know, it's it's gonna, like I said, everything's weird. We don't know what's going to happen, so. But um, I think that wraps it up for uh, MLB Red Sox talk. Uh, yep. The NBA, we're, we're getting, yeah, we're, NBA we're getting somewhere. Kinda, yeah. Slowly but surely, we're chugging along. They had the uh, schedule was announced for all the teams last night. Uh, we'll get to the Celtics and kind of where we see them going. But uh, just as I did with baseball, we'll kind of look at the NBA's kind of comeback plan. So July 30th, the ESPN Worldwide uh, – I always get that wrong. The ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex in Florida. That is where the games will be held. Uh, kind of some notes on that. The NBA Finals would end no later than October 13th. 22 teams, eight seeding games per team, a 16-team playoff field. So NBA kind of did it a strange way. I kind of like how they're setting up their season. I don't know if you feel the same way or not, but I'll just list off the teams, and then we can kind of talk about that. But the Western Conference, they have the playoff teams, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, Utah, OKC, Houston, Dallas, and Memphis, and then Portland, the Pelicans, Sacramento, uh, San Antonio, and Phoenix. They were all invited to this. In the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Miami, Indiana, Philly, Brooklyn, Orlando, and Washington was invited as well to try to make a bid at the postseason. Uh, each returning team will play eight seeding games, which was announced last night. That's the rest, the rest of the regular season, as selected from its remaining regular season matchups. For playoff qualification, the seven teams in each conference with the highest combined winning percentage. Uh, that includes the regular season games and the seeding games. And then for the eighth playoff seed, this is where it gets interesting. The eighth seed must be more than four games ahead of the number nine seed in its conference. And if it is four games or less ahead of that ninth seed, so it becomes a playoff, a play-in game or a play-in series, depending on the final spot. Kind of weird how they worded it, but the eighth seed must win one game to advance to the playoffs in double elimination. And the ninth seed must win two games to advance to the playoffs in single elimination. So I guess in that case, the, if the nine seed were to win, it would just become the eight seed in the, the playoffs. It, it's just weird how they worded it to me. I don't know if you feel the same way. You're like, what your thoughts on like that? The whole setup is for the NBA. Yeah, this is. I think it's just kind of chaotic. Not in like a bad way, but like I kind of like it. You know, I it don't definitely like... makes it more interesting with the added because like obviously the NHL did it too with the addition of the playoff scenes, but like just giving. Obviously, there's more Western teams that are in the hunt right now than there are Eastern Conference teams, but it gives those teams a chance, I guess, to make up for lost time. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, so I, it, like, yeah, I find it kind of interesting the way they did it. The whole four games back or ahead or however it's going to be done for the play-in game, that would be kind of curious to see how that goes about. Because right now the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Memphis is the eighth seed in the West, so if they got Portland and the Pelicans on the horizon. So yeah, be curious to see if any of those teams can catch Memphis. Or same thing with Washington being behind Orlando in the East. If they can leapfrog them or get close to them to, I guess, activate a playoff, a playing game or a playing series, however they want to do it. But I don't know. Like you said, we're living in weird times right now. Yeah, it's like we're doing things. I don't it's see. The theme of the day. I don't see anything that like sticks out to me that, like a dislike. So I'm kind of cool with this. Yeah. And the Celtics, when they return, they play the Bucks right off the bat, so that's fun. And yeah, I mean, I just I don't see anything to like complain about here. I mean, I think I think basketball fans should feel the same way. Like you're getting basketball back. What is there to complain about? I don't think there's yeah. anything too outrageous here. Yeah, I mean, there have been some people that are around the fence, of course. One of the big names, Avery Bradley, was announced the other day that he's not going to come back and play for the Lakers. I know uh, Boston Jason Tatum was kind of up in the air, but he is obviously going to play. He's not going to sit out the rest of the season. So a lot of these that guys, I'm sure, it's the same way in hockey, same way in baseball. They've said it in baseball, a bunch of players have been vocal about it, but just guys' uncertainty to come back. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how guys will adjust to this kind of setup if guys will. I know Damian Lillard's been very vocal about wanting to come back and play in, like, meaningless games, I guess, if Portland's out of the playoff race, or he'll just kind of sit out. I can't remember exactly what his comment was, but he's been vocal about it. A lot of players have been on the fence, so just kind of see how, how things go about it when the NBA does return. Didn't the Lakers sign J.R. Smith? They were talking about. It. I don't know. If, I didn't see anything official or not. But he, the last thing I saw was he was like the leading candidate to be picked up by the Lakers. That's that's hilarious. I hope they bring him back. I hope they do too, and I hope he somehow screws LeBron again. That that would just make me smile. It really would. It'd be very funny. Yeah, I like. I think we have it in the outline here. I don't see anything panning out different. I'm still sticking with Clippers and Celtics. Mm-hmm. As am I. Yeah, I just, I don't know, I just, I think it's just meant to be. I think the Celtics, you know, you could argue a lot with the Celtics stacking up against, like, Philly and Toronto and Milwaukee. You know, I'm not going to outright say the Celtics are definitely better than all those teams, but I think the Celtics have what it takes this year to beat those teams more so than they have in the past. And I think they're going to, because this Celtics team is hungry. They have this new identity we talked about all year on Spot. Uh, with Kemba Walker running the show now instead of Kyrie. Jason Tatum is becoming a superstar. Marcus Smart is Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown's having a fantastic year. Jalen Brown's having a great like, bounce back year. Yep. They're, they're, they just have the makings of a team that I think is going to go to the finals. I think they're more of a, com- well, obviously they're more of a complete team than last year, in my opinion. But, like, it's been on display this year where it's they're back to their, and we talked about it, that this is how they should have done it last year but with Kyrie Irving obviously that kind of screws everything up but like back to the Isaiah Thomas and James and Jay Crowder days and all like I said before like it's a team like it's weird to say it's a team team like a team game I don't know how I like to word it the way I want to but like they're playing for each other with each other like it's they're just all together as I just kind of ramble on here they're more of a team this year like which is yeah. good to see they're back playing like it's not just 
last year it was the Kyrie Irving show at times. And you, you saw it that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were busy pissed off and didn't know what to do out there because we're going to watch Kyrie Irving dribble around for 20 out of the 24 seconds on the shot clock and then throw up a prayer. This year they're moving the ball better. They were at the time before everything went to shit. Um, things are just got like they, they were more of a complete team. And you said it. Kemba Walker comes in, changes the culture of the team back to the way it should be. Jason Tatum is – you said he's in the making of a superstar. I think he's there already. Ceiling's extremely high for him. Jalen Brown's, as you said, bounced back this year nicely and is a great piece. Gordon Hayward gets forgotten, but like Gordon Hayward, in my opinion, has come around to being the guy that he was, whether the Celtics expected him to be when they got him. So it's just a, been a full team effort all season, all around, and like they're, they're going to be a force to reckon with in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm definitely with you. I'm confident. The one interesting thing, too, to watch is if they'll be able to get the number two seed. Right now, they're three games behind Toronto. And if you look at the two-team schedules when they were announced, uh, the Celtics do have the easier of the two schedules compared to Toronto. I'm trying to find where the stats. There it is. Um, the Celtics will are 11-5 and five against the teams on their schedule this season. And if you missed it, uh, they will play the Bucks, Trailblazers, Heat, Nets, Raptors, Magic, Grizzlies, and Wizards before the postseason starts. They have winning records against those teams, all except for Brooklyn, who they're, you can believe it, 1-2 and two against. Yeah, that, rid- uh, that ridiculous game where Karis LeVert just went absolutely off, went yeah. off at the end of the game. I I'll, I was freaking out that night. I was freaking mm-hmm. out. Like, I couldn't believe what was happening. Yeah, I came home from there, like a 30-point lead while I was at work. Came home, and the game was in overtime. Like, what the hell happened? And Karis LeVert's going off. I'm like, okay, that, that's good. Yeah, but, yeah, weird. they have a, I don't know if you could say much easier, because, again, there's no home court advantage anymore. So that, that'll be interesting to watch how the playoffs go, too, for basketball. Obviously, a lot of people, when they think of the NBA playoffs, they make this the statement that, you know, the superstar always wins in the playoffs and always gets his team to the finals. So that'll be interesting to see if a guy like LeBron can do that with the Lakers, if Kawhi can do that with the Clippers, if the Celtics do they ride Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker? Like, who is the, the true superstar on that team that they could maybe get behind? I think it's Tatum. I feel like you have the same way. But that will be curious to see if that kind of statement plays true this year with the neutral site games. Uh, Toronto, just their schedule to look at. They play the Lakers, Miami, Orlando, Boston, Memphis, Milwaukee, Philly, and Denver. So they do have a tougher schedule. They're 6-8 and eight against the teams on their schedule this year. So... That'll be big. Can Boston catch Toronto right now? Boston would play Philadelphia in the first round of the, the playoffs. Toronto would play Brooklyn. I'm sure all Celtics fans would rather see Brooklyn in the playoffs than rather see Philly in round one. I don't know if you feel the same way yeah. on that statement. But, yeah, Brooklyn team without Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I would rather see than say what you will about Philly. But you, you're bound to get good games from guys like Embiid and Simmons, Al Horford, of course, on that team. So, you won't see Definitely. any three-pointers from Simmons, though, because he's a coward. That's true. You can't that's forget I mean. that. Like, you get Philadelphia, you get guys like that, like Embiid and Simmons, that are going to cower on the big spot because that's just what they do. Yeah, uh, the, the Celtics will not lose to the Sixers. I'll guarantee that. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that either. It's just you'd rather – I feel like you'd rather see Brooklyn and Philly in the first round. Yeah, than we'll absolutely. Philly in the second round or whatever, however it uh, would end up going about. But, Yeah. That's, that'll be something to watch. Can the Celtics catch Toronto, get a better seating in the playoffs? But again, like seating is just not going to have the same meaning, in, in my opinion, than it has in the past with the fact that you're playing in these neutral site games. There's no going to be no fans in attendance. I don't think the NBA has said that, but like you can 
pretty much just think that there's not going to be any fans there. No one's going to be allowed to watch these games in the stadiums that they're in or the arenas that they're in. So something to look forward to. Obviously, the big thing, just the basketball is going to be back and they're going to start their playoffs up, start the regular season at the end of the month or beginning of next month and see how they go about that. Yeah, and I say we say Clipper Celtics. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick a winner yet because uh like I wanna see a little bit um of like what both teams had to offer with the resumption of the season. Uh mm-hmm. but I think it is gonna be Clippers and Celtics, but I'm not gonna pick a winner yet. Okay. I went against that. I'm sticking with my day one prediction of the Clippers winning it all. Uh the number of games may fluctuate depending on how things go, but Clippers Celtics in the finals, I'll say. Clippers, uh, I have right now Pennsylvania in seven, but who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, just some things too quick before we move on to the pages. I know the final thing we got to get to. Uh, some things moving forward for the NBA. I know people have had questions of with the season starting late. When will the new season start off? When will the draft be? Stuff like that. Just some notes on that. The NBA draft lottery will be August 25th, and how that will work is the 14 lottery teams will be the eight that didn't participate in the comeback season. So obviously the ones that didn't get invited to Orlando uh, and the six that didn't qualify for the playoffs during the comeback season. So all the teams that get bounced once the quote-unquote regular season is over. Teams will be seated in the lottery and assigned odds based on their record through March 11th. The 16 playoff teams would draft in inverse order of their combined records across the regular season and the seeding games that they're having uh, starting up soon. The NBA draft itself will be on August 16th. October 16th, excuse me, uh, 2020-2021 free agency period. Teams and free agents can begin negotiating at 6 p.m. on October 18th. The moratorium, I don't know what that means. I just took this from an NBA article. Uh, will begin at 12.01 a.m. on October 19th. I'm assuming that's the signing period, I guess. Yep. I don't know if you, yeah, okay. And so that, that'll begin on October 19th and continue through noon on October 23rd. And then for the start of the 2020-2021 NBA season, uh, kind of penciled in right now for December 1st. Of course, this all uh, is speculative because we don't know if the season's going to start in July. Obviously, think things could happen. So July 31st, uh, July 30th, excuse me, right now is what they're looking at, as I said, for a starting date for this season. But if that gets pushed back, then you got to think the December 1st date will get pushed back for next season. Uh, a lot of people seem to like this, the, the later start, because – it's been talked about the NBA has always struggled to get ratings because they start right around the same time the NFL season starts mm-hmm. and, and NFL is more popular in viewership than the NBA. So see how this works out a later start. If that, if that works in the NBA's favor, but I, mean, I, I don't think it's going to hurt it. I can't see it like, like doing anything bad for the NBA reputation or anything like that or viewership or whatever. So yeah, mm-hmm. just some kind of final notes there for anybody who was wondering how they'll go about things in the future but that's pretty much it for the nba the celtics i know i'm excited to see the celtics start back up the nba season start back up uh, i feel you are the same way because as we talked about with hockey like nba never said they were going to do this but if they just kind of crowned a champion from whoever had the best record like that would have been the bucks and that would have kind of stunk if you just like all right we're finishing the season this is what we're gonna go with so on to football we want to go about it yeah i mean like like we said at the beginning of the show like football isn't as pressing because like there's not a season happening right now or like you know the season's still quite a ways away but you know there's some interesting things to talk about i mean 
it wasn't a huge like free agent like addition off season for the Patriots because of limited cap space. But they, uh, as we all know, they lost Tom Brady to the Bucks. Um, they added Demir Bird. They retained Joe Tooney, Devin McCourty, and Jason McCourty. Uh, they added Bo. What was his? I thought his name was Bo Allen. Did we put a typo here in the? Did we? I thought the thing I saw. Yeah, Bo yeah. Allen. Um, oh. Bo Allen from the Bucks. What can I say? I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> Bo Allen from the um, from the Bucks. Brian Hoyer came back. Adrian Phillips from the um, from the Chargers. Cody Davis from Jacksonville. Uh, you retained Matthew Slater, huge one. Um, he's a beast. Uh, Dan Vitale to replace the retired James Devlin. Um, he was from Green Bay. Uh, you're looking at potentially two fullbacks in the roster with him and Jacob Johnson. Uh, Brandon Copeland, an addition I like, a linebacker from the Jets. Uh, Shalik Calhoun was re-signed for some reason. He sucks. Um, <laughs> Kyle Duggar uh, was drafted in the second round. You added Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings in the draft. It's a couple guys that can play linebacker and uh, come off the edge. Add a little edge rushing dimension outside of Chase Winovich and John Simon. Um, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene to reinforce the tight end position. What's going on there? Ryan? You there? Hello? Hello? Oh, I thought I lost you for a sec. They're, they're moving my cars around now. The car I was going to say, I was like, did connected someone just turn my, on your car? Yeah, they connected to my Bluetooth speaker of my car. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Because you went silent. The perks of doing this from home, it really... Uh, Classic. Yeah. yeah. All right, continue. What were you saying? I apologize. And then they added... We'll edit that out in the post. Yeah. Justin Rohrwasser from uh, the draft, new kicker with uh, Steven Guskowski gone, Michael Onwenu, guard from Michigan, Justin Heron, an offensive tackle, Cash Maluia, another linebacker, and Dustin Warder, a backup center for David Andrews. And um, for losses, you know, like I said, they lost Brady, uh, Kyle Van Noyce out of Miami, Jamin Collins, Detroit, Danny Shelton, Detroit. Deron Harmon was traded to Detroit. Uh, Landon Roberts also went to Miami, so it's good that they reinforced the linebacker position big time in the draft. Uh, Nate Ebner went to the Giants and um, stayed with Joe Judge. Steven Gostkowski was released and is, for some reason, currently unsigned. I'm surprised he hasn't found a home yet. And Phil yeah, Dorsett crazy. signed a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. So that's how the Pats roster is looking. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, structure the team around new starting quarterback Jared Stidham and with Jared Stidham being the new starting quarterback it has a lot of people wondering how the um how the Patriots are going to do this year and you know I'm more optimistic than most people you and are we're very gonna, optimistic I opened this up earlier today I'm like wow I did not expect that roster prediction we're gonna we're gonna run through um our scheduling predictions um they're pretty much the same for a while until mm-hmm. we get um towards the later portion but um Week one versus Miami, you know, a lot of people think Miami's a trap team every year, but I think they'll beat Miami um, in week one. We both have them losing to Seattle. I think that's, you know, that's a reasonable game to lose for a rookie QB like Stidham, you know. In Seattle, yeah, at Seattle. Yeah, at Seattle, yeah. That's just a tough environment to play. I think they'll lose that one. I don't think there's much else to say there. Seattle's a pretty formidable team, especially in their uh, home building. Um, I don't think the Rams are very, like, good. I think they'll beat the Rams both times this year. Um, and you have them beating the Rams here, too, in week three. Raiders. Uh, Raiders, Raiders, sorry. Uh, I got the teams mixed up. Uh, but 
don't they play? Oh, I thought I don't know why I thought they played the Rams twice for some reason. But yeah, I think they'll beat the Rams later in the season. Um, the Raiders, the Raiders just aren't good. They'll beat the Raiders. Uh, Kansas City on the road. That's another tough road game. You know, facing the defending Super Bowl champions. Sadly, um, on the road, it's not good. Starting off two and two with a loss to um, Kansas City in Week Four. Denver. Denver is an interesting team this year, but I think they'll beat um, Denver in Week 5. You know, they added Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler to reinforce the wide receiver core in the draft, um, give Drew Locke some more options. I think, you know, Melvin Gordon's a nice pickup, and they still have Phil Lindsay and, um, what's his name, Royce Freeman um, at the, the running back position. So they got a, they got a solid uh, reformed offense. I think Jerry Judy's going to step in to be a stud immediately. So, I think Denver is going to be an interesting team next year, but I think the Patriots can beat them and will in week five. Then they have a bye week six. And what better team to be greeted with off the bye than free in San Francisco? Um, I think they'll lose. They're playing at home, but I think San Francisco is just a better team and they Their will defenses, lose. Yeah. yeah. They traded DeForest Buckner, but they replaced him with Javon Kinlaw in the draft. Uh, I don't think the team got much worse this year. Um, you know, they lost Emmanuel Sanders, but I think I still think they'll be all right. Uh, they drafted Brandon Ayuk to replace him. Wide receiver out of Arizona State in the first round. So I think um, San Francisco is definitely still a Super Bowl contender, and they're going to be tough to beat. And I think the Patriots will lose in Week 7 and fall to 3-3. Three and three. Uh, Buffalo on the road, that's just another really tough road matchup. I think even Buffalo at home is tough. Yep. Um, but... You know, Buffalo on the road, that's really tough. I think they'll lose that one. And we both have them falling three and four here. Like I said, we have things pretty similar uh, for a while, but then things get a little different the later half of the schedule. Uh, the Jets on the road, I'm not too worried about this one. I think they'd win that one. You do as well. Um, in week nine, and then you have Baltimore. That's a tough game. I think they'll lose to Baltimore. It is at home, but, you know, I think Baltimore is just the better team, and they beat uh, the Patriots in week, week ten. Uh, bringing the Patriots to four and five. Oof. Um, this is where things start to get different. Uh, week eleven at Houston. I have the Patriots winning. You have them losing. Why do you have them losing? I flip flop back and forth because at first I was like, well, they don't have. Uh, uh, why can't I think of the receivers name they traded? DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins. One more time. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins. Thank you. Jesus. Um. So I'm like, okay, they might might win that game, but then. I don't know. I just, like, all these losses I have, like, the Seattle game is going to be tough, as you said, on the road. Uh, Buffalo will be tough on the road. I, I just think they lost to Houston last year on the road with Tom Brady. So, with Jared Stidham, I just don't – I think that's just going to be another tough environment to go into. Uh, who knows? Maybe Houston falls apart this year because Bill O'Brien is their head coach, and they just don't – after that trade, they're like, well, this guy, like, we don't have any faith in him anymore. So, I originally had it as a win in Houston, but I'm thinking about it again. I'm like, ah, I just, I, I, just don't see. It. I think on paper they're a little, little better than the Patriots. Yeah, so it's just another tough road game for New England. But Stidham is your quarterback, first year as a starter. Like that's a game I could easily see them going in, just not being able to do like nothing against Stidham because I think he's going to do fine. But that's just a game I just don't. I just feel like you can go in and say, oh, they, they didn't get anything going that game. They couldn't figure it out against Houston, and Houston did just enough to. It beat the Patriots, so. Yeah, I think this is. I think this is just going to be a close game, like a 
seven ten point margin. Nothing like not like the Patriots are gonna go in there and smoke them, but I think it's gonna be a close game. But the Patriots will win. I just think they're, I think they're pretty evenly matched with Houston. And I think they can beat them. So I'm gonna go with a W there and go into five and five. You have them going to four and six. Um, we both have wins against Arizona at home in week twelve. Uh, going to five and six in your schedule, six and five in mine. Um, on the road against the Chargers, uh, we both have them winning, going to six and six in your end, seven and just five in my out, end. Sorry to cut you off too. No but worries. This is where I had I had the the flip of I had them losing to the Chargers and beating Houston, and I'm like, oh, completely forgot the Chargers have a rookie quarterback this year. So more Tyrod Taylor. We don't know oh, yet. Oh, more Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, that's true too. So, but I, yeah, I flipped it here because I'm like, okay, I think maybe th- this might be the game where it's like, okay, Stidham gets his first big road win. And see if that like turns the tide of the season or whatever. But like, I don't know. It's another game too where I feel like the defense, like you're gonna have to rely heavily on the defense on the road. And I think maybe the Pages defense will just be able to snuff out the Chargers and get a win there. So. Yeah, Chargers are gonna be interesting if Herbert ends up starting the majority of games. Uh, like I said, Melvin Gordon's with the uh, with the Broncos now, so their running attacks gonna be a little different. Uh, they have Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, and they drafted Joshua Kelly at UCLA. So a di- bit of a different run attack there, but I think the Patriots are just a better team. Um, for my dynasty team's sake, though, I drafted Herbert in the first round, so I hope Herbert you know, does decent. That's so it well, yeah. doesn't look like a bad pick for me. But I also drafted, drafted Joshua Kelly, so I hope he does decent too. Um, after that, they have another LA team. They have the Rams Week 14. I think I don't think the Rams are that great. Um, they have a... Nope. They have a decent team, solid defense, but I think the Patriots can beat them. It is on the road, though, so I have this being another close game. But I think the yep. Patriots will come out on top and move to 8-5, and 7-6 for you. Um, you have them losing in Week 15 on the road to Miami. I do not. Trap game. I don't know. I, just, I feel like this could definitely be a trap game, but I don't know. I just don't see it. It's for no other reason besides that. I just think they'll win, just because they're the better okay. team. That's really about it. And I'm going to nine and five. Then, you know, Buffalo, like we talked about earlier, on the road is tough. Um, I think things will be a little easier at home, and I think this is a, this will be another close game. But I have the Patriots coming out and beating Buffalo week sixteen at home. Uh, you do as well, moving to ten and five on my end, and eight and seven on your end. And then we both have them beating the Jets at home in Week 17, um, moving to 11 and five on the season, and my end and nine and seven on your season. I'm more optimistic than most. Seems like it. Yep. I just think there's too many question marks in this team. You lost too much. It's like with the Red Sox. You lost too much in the off season, and there's too many question marks in the offensive side. Like I said, I think Stidham's going to be fine. I know there's people that are already writing him off because uh, he, there's one. Pass in the NFL was a pick six. Like he had immediately. That's the stupidest thing ever. I don't. I don't agree with. Yep. Dumbest thing ever. But just too many questions. How's the run game going to go? Are they going to bounce back after last year? Like I've harped on before, Sony Michelle. What's he going to look like? Obviously, you still have James White. You still have Rex Burkhead. So those are two guys you know are going to do well. Damian Harris, Harris, Harris as well. Exactly. Does he get touches this year? How about the wide receivers? Like, is Julian Elman going to have to carry this team again? Can Sanu bounce back? Are you going to get something from Nikhil Harry or just give Nikhil Harry chances this year? Like, what's the tight end position going to look like? You have two rookies that you drafted. They're, everything I've heard, they're supposed to be good, but, again, two rookies you just don't know about. 
what's Stidham's protection going to look like? Is Joe, uh, Joe Tooney going to be here for, like, the season? So uh, just a lot of questions on the offensive side from an offensive standpoint last year that he struggled with. He didn't do a whole lot, in my opinion, to improve on it. So, and obviously you downgraded the, at the quarterback position, let's be honest. So, yeah, I don't know. I think you're going to have to rely heavily on the defense this season. But to that extent, you lost a lot of pieces on the defense, too, that were pretty important. Guys like Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins. Uh, Deron Harmon, so it it's just going to be tough. I think you got a lot of tough games on the schedule. Uh, a lot of the time you saw with the Patriots, a lot of their tough games they were at least at home, and you could count on a guy like Brady to bail you out at times. This year, I think it's just, it's just going to be different. There's too many question marks, and who knows? Maybe they run with it, and maybe they blow the doors off some of these teams, and they surprise a lot of people. But I think this is just the first year where you look at this Patriots team and you go. I, I just don't know. Yeah, I see the I see the Patriots going 11-5 and losing early in the playoffs. I'm more confident in Stidham than a lot of people. I think he's, you know, I think he's in a situation like we've seen on social media. This doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's good to see that, you know, he's, he's you know, him and, him and Sanu and Edelman are on the same page to a certain extent. You know, they're doing, like, all the eyes emojis and stuff and commenting on pictures. That's good to see, like, the camaraderie. You know, they want to get on board with the new rookie QB. I think Stidham has just, like, just good natural ability. I think they drafted him in the fourth round for a reason. And I think, you know, he's a mobile quarterback. He's got a good arm. Um, he had a really solid college career. I think, you know, with a pretty good offensive line with David Andrews coming back, Joe Tooney sticking around, uh, hopefully, you know, you get some, you know, Isaiah Wynn builds on things. You get more consistency from Marcus Cannon, hopefully. You don't have to deal with Marshall Newhouse for freak's sake. You never see Marshall Newhouse again, yeah. And Shaq Mason's pretty reliable. I like the protection they have for him. You know, I have faith that Stidham can establish good rapport with Edelman because Edelman's just Edelman. You know, he he's just the most reliable guy you have in the receiving core. I think there's no reason to worry about him getting on a good um, slate with Edelman. I think Sanu is going to look back at last season and be like, hey, I got to be better. That's, you know, like they brought me here for a reason in a trade. And I think Sanu is going to have a better season in his first full season as a Patriot. I like the addition of Demir Bird, actually, to the receiving core. I think he's a young receiver with a little bit of untapped potential. One name we forgot to mention is Marquise Lee, too. I think he's kind of in a similar position. I think they're guys, you know, Marquise Lee had some injury problems. So maybe we haven't seen all we have all there is to offer from him. I think they're two guys that could be decent depth options. You still have Jacoby Myers as well. Um, I think it's a, you know, it's a little bit of an under-the-radar receiving core that could, you know, be decent. And I'm banking on them being decent, and it starts at the top with um, Sanu and Edelman. And like I said, I like the upside of um, Bird and Lee both making the roster and, you know, making an impact as depth receivers. And... I have a lot of faith in uh, Devin Asiasi. You know, I'm not saying he's going to come out and be a superstar tight end right off the bat. But, you know, he's, you know, they they picked two tight ends in the middle rounds um, in close proximity. They really put emphasis on them playing big roles this year. So I think Belichick is confident in them and, you know, knows how he wants to deploy them. And I think they're both going to, you know, re- reinvigorate that position. And the thing with Keen too is Keen's a little bit more scrappy, undersized tight end. Um, a guy you can use like I'm not saying like Gronkowski two tight end sets, but you know, 
uh, Asiasi as the more like pass catching, um, like offensive tight end, like big bigger numbers than a guy like Keen, and you can use Keen in more like different types of sets and kind of a guy that like you know Asiasi might draw draw more attention, so Keen's open to two tight end sets type of thing. Um, I like the addition of both of them there, and I think Keen has some versatility otherwise as well. I think I read something, like, after they drafted him that he's, like, capable of blocking really well, like, lining up kind of like a fullback or, you know, being a running back option in certain, like, you know, crazy off-the-board plays. So I, I like the the fact that they put a lot of emphasis in that position, and I think they're going to rely heavily on Asiasi mainly. Um, like you said with the linebackers, the linebackers on the defensive side is the biggest question mark for me. But I like the fact that, you know, despite losing three guys in Collins, Van Noy, and Roberts, you know, that gives Juwan Bentley, a guy we've seen, has some ability, you know, he's a reason to get excited about, and he'll get some more playing time. I think Brandon Copeland is a decent veteran, the guy they brought in from the Jets, that's a good addition. And, you know, they really attacked that position in the draft, which I was really hoping they'd do with Jennings and uh, Uche and Cash Maluia. I think they did a good job reinforcing things. Um, they traded Harmon, unfortunately, because of cap reasons. But, you know, I think this team, you know, is going to surprise some people. And that's why I have them going 11-5. All right. Should be interesting to see how things go for them. The running game is huge, too. They need to – I harped on it all last year in the show. You know, hopefully everybody in the line can stay healthy. But – if you want consistency out of Sony Michelle, you got to give him consistent reps. A lot of times last year, they were, you know, using him too little or too much, or he was doing something wrong. The thing that the main complaint I have with Michelle is he tries to be like Le'Veon Bell a lot. Uh, he tries to like jump around people and be like super elusive and crafty. You know, with Michelle, you know, he's a guy that he's not a big like overpowering back, but you know, he can be a guy that averages twenty carries a game and just run straight up the middle 15 times with those 20 carries. And, you know, that's that's what you're going to need from him. And I think that um, relies on how McDaniels decides to use him. And, you know, you saw Michelle turn things around a little bit in the late half of the season last year. Once you gave him consistent reps and you had him m- making high percentage runs and, you know, he was just playing smart and not trying to be too crafty like Le'Veon Bell. And I think if you get that from him, you know, that's a huge bonus. We know we we know what we have with Rex Burkhead and James White. We've seen what they can do. They're both pretty consistently good. And then maybe Damian Harris, you know, surprises some people and just adds more depth to that position. I don't really know what to expect from Harris, but they drafted him in the third round, so clearly they have some sort of plan for him. I'm just, Like I said, the thing for me is I think, you know, despite losing big pieces, I think they did a decent job um, restocking the cupboard. And I'm more confident in this team than other people are. All right. That's about That's it. 11 and 5. 11 and 5. Record. All right. You heard it. You heard it here. But I think that's all we pretty much have for football and all we have on the slate for today. Do you have anything else you want to say? Uh, on the sports side of things, no. On the just being able to talk sports again, like I said, it's a little strange doing this from home. But uh, obviously we wouldn't have been in school anyway because of the uh, – graduation and stuff but yeah just good to get back at it i know with we were like you said earlier at the start of the show we were waiting for like some good news in sports and with the nba slated to come back the nhl obviously being the first to figure out how they're going to come back the nfl has been 
pretty steadily saying like they haven't really changed anything that they they're gonna do. And then baseball finally, after long and strenuous and aggravating uh, last couple of weeks, last couple of months, finally figuring it out too. Like that was the one we were waiting on. Yeah. Uh, good to see that being back, and I'm trying to figure out how they're gonna go about things. But yeah, just just good to get back into a little bit of a normal like normal life, I guess. Being able to talk sports, like as you said, a lot of good news going around. So hopefully we can keep it that way, and hopefully the more stuff comes out, the more we're able to uh, bring to the people. Once yeah. It does. So yeah, that's about it for us. Uh, we're just about an hour and thirty-five minutes in. Uh, pretty good first episode. You know, like I said, we did the first couple with Justin because Ryan was busy with stuff for school. Uh, but good to get the first episode under the belt, and hopefully, you know, with the news coming out and you know. Sports League starting to get back into the swing of things and playing games. We'll have more to talk about. But that's been episode three of the Savage and Craddy Sports podcast. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.